Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody, welcome today to Southside Church. My name's Jeff Williams. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm thankful for you joining us online, making this a priority in your life. If you're if you're a part of our church family and uh, you're just watching from home today, or maybe you came to church and you wanted to get another part of it, or you're watching from somewhere else, welcome home. Southside Church, we say this, home is here. And there are three things that I think make us unique in a campus setting. And I hope it would lead you to want to come and be a part of it with us. We are biblically based. Friend, we're going to teach the Bible. God's holy word. We're going to give it to you. And we're going to push it down all the way throughout our campuses and through our kids' ministry, youth ministry, small groups, everybody's getting the same thing. So we're not just biblically based, we're family focused. And that has been a powerful thing for our church. We've seen families be able to get in the car, have the same conversation about Sunday with their kids on the way home. That leads to deeper conversations through the week. And we're seeing moms and dads being able to introduce their kids to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at home. And it doesn't just have to happen at church. That is powerful, biblically based and family focused because we want you to be personally known. I do. I want you to be personally known. I want you to be able to come to a church and somebody be able to know your name. And that happens when you make the effort and we make the effort to make connecting points together. And so that only happens when you're here. So come and join us. If you live in the Redstone area of South Jackson or the Commerce area over at Tanger Malls, we would love for you to join us and uh, let us let us help you experience what a real relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. And uh, that's where we are. Today, we're talking through a series called The Blessed Life. Hashtag blessed, baby. I want to live the blessed life. What does that look like? And we're talking about it through the lens of Jesus's first recorded sermon, his first public sermon that we have recorded. It's in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. And here he just kind of gives us the introduction to the entire message. It's nine statements that talk about experiencing the blessing of God. And so if you want to experience the blessed life, this is how you do it. This is how we do it. Because what you see in these scenarios it is, is a lot of times it's painful things. It's difficult things that we go through. And so what happens when life hurts? Well, when life hurts, we see through the beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount, when life hurts, Jesus heals. A statement that we've made every week, and I will continue to make this statement throughout this series, is this. God's way of living always contradicts the world's way. The God's way of living, it always contradicts the world's way. There are two paths that you can follow. There's God's way and there's the world's way. The world is, when I mention it, it's not the physical world that you and I see. It's a belief system that is satanic at its core and it opposes anything godly. And so God's way of living is in stark contrast to the world's way of living. They are going in opposite direction. You cannot travel two at the same time. You have to pick. 
You've got to choose. Joshua 24, 15, Joshua said, choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. You can either serve the world or you can serve the Lord. He said, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so in Matthew chapter 5, this is how it begins. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying these things. He said, number one, the poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those that are poor in spirit means those who are morally bankrupt apart from Christ. That is everybody on the planet. That is you and me until we acknowledge the fact that we are morally bankrupt apart from Christ, that our sin has separated us from him. And when we do that and acknowledge that and trust Christ for salvation, this is the starting point for everyone. The poor in spirit are blessed, and when you acknowledge that, receive that, you get a taste of heaven in your life in the very present here and now. The poor in spirit are blessed. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The mourning here that he speaks of is not just mourning over the loss of something in our life, but more of spiritual mourning over the sin that separates God from man, the sin that we still struggle with even after salvation. And when we mourn, when we repent, when we are broken over the sin that separates us from God, we find comfort through the Holy Spirit. We find his peace and his restoration and healing. The poor in spirit are blessed. Those who mourn are blessed. The gentle are blessed. Gentle does not mean weakness. Gentleness means power that is under control. It means disciplining ourselves so that the power from God that we receive at salvation and through the Holy Spirit and just for living this life can be harnessed and used to glorify and honor God. So the gentle, those who are disciplined, their power is kept under control by God, are blessed for they will be the ones who will inherit the earth. He says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed for they will be filled. See, those first three things lead to the fourth thing. When we realize we're morally bankrupt, when we mourn over our sin, when we ask God to discipline us and bring us under his control, we begin to hunger and thirst for what is right according to God. Righteousness is a big word that means two things, to be made right with God and to do what is right according to God. And so those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed for they will be filled. They will be deeply, truly satisfied. And so the first three lead to number four. And the last ones that we cover from here on out are the results, the byproducts of what happens when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus said, the merciful are blessed for they will be shown mercy. Those who are a conduit for grace and not a cul-de-sac of, of, of bitterness and, and harboring hard things in our life, we're a, we're a conduit for grace and mercy. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. He said the pure in heart are blessed, for they will be the ones who will see God. We'll actually jump back and get this one next week because of what we're doing on our campuses today. Today, where we're talking and honoring and thinking about those that are first responders. 
Today, we're doing that on our campuses. We're honoring, we're talking to our, our sheriff of our county and our local police chief in both of our, our, our locations. As we honor the, those who helped keep the peace and we talk about being a peacemaker. They're not the same, they are different. But it's a great opportunity for us to show our support, our love, our care to our first responders in our community. And so Jesus said, the peacemakers are blessed for they will be called sons of God. The peacemakers are blessed. He's not talking about peacekeepers. He's talking about peacemakers. You see, a peacekeeper is one who prevents war, who prevents trouble, who prevents chaos. That's what our local law enforcement are. They are peacekeepers. They are preventing damage, harm, and injury to come upon us. And that's different from being a peacemaker. A peacemaker ushers in the shalom. The peace, the completeness, the wholeness of God into a situation. When you do this, you and I, God said, Jesus said, you will be called the sons of God. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to be a peacekeeper He came to be a peacemaker. And there's a big difference between those because the world was at war with God. And in many ways, we still are because of the satanic belief system that opposes God, because of Satan and demonic activity, because of our own sinful nature. We are at war with God. Those things war against God, fight against God. And so God didn't come to keep the peace between that. He sent his son to make peace with those who are hostile toward God. That's you and me. So that we could be called sons of God. It's a powerful thing. See, when we understand that, when we know what Jesus came to do, we see things like this. There is nothing more you can do to be like Jesus than when, at great expense to yourself, you help reconcile men and women to God. There's nothing more you can do to be more like Jesus than when, at great expense to yourself, you help reconcile men and women back to God. That is what we see today. We're going to see it lived out in a passage in 2 Corinthians in the Bible. But this is, this, the, the reason we get a statement like this is because Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. And he came to make peace between God and man. Today, today we talk about the power of peace. Paul writes in Philippians, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone because God is near. And he says, Cast your, he put, put your, your, your care, your concern on God because the peace of God, when you, when he, he will be with you. And he says, Think about these things. Think about what is true, lovely, right, noble, pure, just, all of these things, and let the peace of God overwhelm your life, okay? So he's talking about allowing the peacemaker to be an active, present part in your life. As we look at this today, though, we're going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians in our Bible. 
Where is that? Where's 2 Corinthians? Well, it's real easy to find. It comes right after 1 Corinthians in the Bible. <laughs> it's in the New Testament. You can find it. It's about in the middle part of it. And you can go there, and we can see that Paul is writing a letter to the church and the people at Corinth. And he's helping them deal in the first letter with a lot of the issues they were facing as a church. The second letter, much of the same, still dealing with some of their difficulties and problems. But here in this part in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul begins to talk about how you and I can not just experience peace, but we can give peace as well. We can take on the very life and nature of Christ and become peacemakers ourselves. There is power in shalom, the power of peace. Number one today, three things, very simple. I believe Paul starts and says, look, we want you to know Jesus because without knowing Jesus, you can't truly know what it means to be a peacemaker because he is the ultimate peacemaker. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, this is where he goes. He says, from now on, from now on, we do not know anyone in a purely human way, verse 16. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, we don't know him that way any longer. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, we want you, we don't know anyone anymore in a purely human way. We're seeing people differently because of what Jesus has put inside of us, the power of peace. He's talking here about the, 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 the peace that comes into our life at the moment of salvation. When you and I trust Christ as our Savior, when we acknowledge the fact that our sin has separated us from God, and we come before God humble, broken, contrite, ready to receive everything that God has given us, knowing that we are bringing nothing of our own, totally giving ourselves to him in complete surrender and trusting him with everything. Paul said when that happened in our life, I'm just, he says because that happened, we no longer see people in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in just a human way, we no longer know him this way. They came to trust God and, and, and did that through the person of Jesus Christ. All these people knew Christ personally. These people knew Christ personally. And so many of these people saw him, especially those in Jerusalem and in Israel. They experienced him. They saw him. They heard him teach. They watched him heal. They saw him die. They heard the reports of him being raised from the dead. They experienced this. All you and I are doing is reading about it in a book, hearing about these moments and these experiences in people's lives and, and hopefully experiencing that in ourselves. But what happens when you know Jesus? It's a process that is known as imputation. It means that God, through Christ, is, is imputing, is crediting to your account the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He is giving you his righteousness. Remember, righteousness means to be made right with God. And it means to do right according to God. And so God, it's like taking a check to a bank account. When you deposit 
your check into your account, you are imputing that money there into that account. When we know Jesus, we are saying to God, this is what Jesus did on the cross. He took our sin, all of it, the sin of the entire world. He put it on him, the sin of all mankind, the sin of all history, the penalty of sin. He placed it on his son imputed our sin to him, and in turn gave his righteousness, holiness, completeness back to us. Paul said because of that, because of that, it's changed everything about our life. Because we know Jesus, we have experienced his peace, and now we see people entirely different. See, you and I cannot have the peace of God without first having peace with God. You can't have you can't have the peace of God, Philippians 4, without experiencing peace with God. And that only happens through the person of Jesus Christ, trusting him with the penalty of your sin and receiving from him his salvation and wholeness in your life. Number two, the power of peace, know God. Number two, receive his peace. It's not just know God, it's about receiving the peace that God wants to put into your life. He says this in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, doesn't say if anyone knows about Christ, doesn't say if anyone uh, goes to church, if anyone is in church, if anyone reads their Bible, if anyone gives to the church or serves to the church, if anyone is a good person. No, there's one criteria. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. God has imparted his righteousness into your life. He has made you brand new. What he's saying here is you and I aren't turning over a new leaf. We have a brand new life. It's not turning over a new leaf and doing something better or doing something gooder. (laughs) He means, hey, you're turning over a completely different life. This does not mean we are reformed, we are re-educated, or we are rehabilitated. We are remade, reborn, recreated. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, everything is made brand new. This is not a superficial change in our life. It's something that has gone deep within us and changed us from the inside out. It's not us bartering with God, making deals with God. It is us coming humbly before God, trusting Christ for our salvation and receiving His peace. How does this happen? How do we do this? One, you present your life to God. Two, you pray. You trust him with your life. Then you practice what you learn so that you can pursue his peace. See, the person who reconciles us to God is Jesus Christ. And the place where it happens is the cross. Every time, every time, I mean, we we wear it around our neck, 
with a, around a chain a lot of times. We'll put a cross. We'll put it on a T-shirt. We'll, we'll put them up on the walls of our house. We'll talk about the cross. We'll sing about the cross. We'll celebrate the cross at Easter. Here's the significance of the cross. The cross that Jesus died on carried your sin. How could that happen over 2,000 years ago when you and I weren't even born yet? Because God in his infinite wisdom knew that you would. And he made a way so that you could know him personally. And it all happens at the cross where you and I humble ourselves before God. We repent, turn from our sin, acknowledge our need for him, cast our sin on him and receive his righteousness into our life. We receive his peace. You can't have peace with God until you have peace. You can't have the peace of God until you have the peace, peace with God. And so here, the person who reconciles us to God is Jesus, and the place where it happens is the cross. The power of peace? Know Jesus. Receive his peace. And number three, embrace his message. Know Jesus. Receive his peace. Embrace his message. Know Jesus. Receive his peace, embrace his message. I want to know Jesus so I can receive his peace and I can embrace his message. What's his message? This is the message of Jesus. Paul said, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who made us right, who brought us in, who purchased our price for our forgiveness through the cross. He reconciled us, made us right with God through Christ and gave us the same ministry of reconciliation, coming together, bringing two parties together, bringing ourselves and somebody else. He said, bringing that ministry of reconciliation, helping other people to see their need for Christ. This is the ministry. This is the heart of what you and I possess and the mission and the ministry that we have. He says that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself. God is still doing that today. He is still reconciling the world to himself. He's not counting their sins or trespasses against them. And he has committed to the message of reconciliation to us. God, through Christ, is reconciling the world to himself. Guess what he's not doing? He's not counting anybody's sins against them. He said, I'm not going to count your sins against you. My son took that on. This is why I would say, I'll say it on Sunday, everybody's forgiven. Jesus didn't pick and choose whose sin he died for on the cross. He took on the sin of the world. That means everybody's forgiven. It's just some people accept it and other people reject it. God has reconciled the world to himself, friend. He's not counting your sins against you. Oh, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. I don't, but he does. He committed to us when we received that into our life, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is, right? He's a, he's a person with a message. An ambassador is someone who goes to another country and represents the country he came from, their leadership, on, he's representing them in that other place. In the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire, they had two different types of provinces. They had senatorial provinces and imperial provinces. 
The senatorial provinces were those that were loyal to the Roman Empire. They did what they were expected to do. They were considered to be true Romans. And, and they, they adhered to the practices of the Roman Empire. The imperial the imperial empire or provinces of the Roman Empire were those who were in rebellion. They were the ones who, 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 where you had to watch because uprisings could, could happen. Things could take place and it would cause turmoil and chaos. And so the Roman Empire would take senatorial province people and send them as ambassadors into the imperial province region because they had a message. They had a ministry if you could say it that way. And he said, we are ambassadors not for Rome, for Christ. Certain. I mean, we are certain. We are 100% sure that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. We are begging you. That's what Paul said. He said, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Be made right with God. God's not counting your sin against you. You are forgiven. Say yes to Christ. Trust him for salvation. Make that happen today. It's a ministry, a message of reconciliation. And then he tells us one of the greatest sentences ever written. God, <coughs> excuse me, made the one Jesus who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a powerful statement. And it's the statement that you and I use. God made the one Jesus who did not know sin, he was completely sinless, to be sin for you. So that you could receive his peace, know him personally, and then you could share his message so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, God's desire is to allow us to be an active part of making peace between the enemies of God and God himself. In other words, blessed are you when the moment you are rescued, you begin to understand and live like you were a part of the rescue team. It's like you're out in the ocean and you and others have found yourselves in a sinking boat. And the Coast Guard sends a helicopter, and they begin dropping that basket. And, and it's, it's like you get in that basket, they put a life jacket on you, and they're going to send you up. And you're like, no, I'm going to get back out, and I'm going to help others get in that basket where I have been rescued. But then... I become a part immediately of the rescue team. You know why? Because the people I was in the water with are people probably that are close to me, people that I don't want to see sink and go down. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes and expend as much energy as I have to to make sure all of them get to safety. See, our relationship with Jesus literally should bleed, should bleed, 
into every relationship that we have with everybody else. What kind of relationship do you have with Christ today? Do you truly know Jesus? Have you received his peace? And if so, are you embracing his message? Are you allowing your relationship with Christ to bleed into every relationship that we have with others? That's the message. That's the ministry. That, my friend, is the power of peace. If you don't know Christ today, let me pray with you. Let me invite you to pray with me. Confess your sin. Call on him and trust him for his peace to be imparted to you. Pray this with me. Believe this with me. Confess this with me. Simply say, Father God, I believe in you. And I believe that you love me so much that you sent your son to be my savior. Say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm trusting you. I'm giving you, I'm confessing to you my sin. I'm putting my sin on you. Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me for my sin by your grace and make me right with you. God, as I give you my sin, would you give me your peace? Say, Jesus, be the Lord and Savior of my life because I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you, and I say yes to you today. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that with me, let us know in the comment section today. Reach out to us. Send us a note at southside.online. Let us know you made a decision today to trust Christ as your Savior. Let us help you take the next step and experience the true power of peace in your life. I hope to see you next week. God bless you. If you made that decision today to say, yes, I do want to choose Jesus. I do want to acknowledge him as my personal Lord and Savior. Congratulations. We could not be more excited for you. And we want to help you in that process and answer any questions that you might have and provide you resources. To do that, simply text Jesus, that's J-E-S-U-S, to 706-449-0870. And one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith. If you thought, you know what, I would like to contribute to all that God is doing in and through Southside. I would like to partner with them. You can do that in three simple ways. First, you can text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 706-449-0870. Secondly, you can do it on the Southside app in the GIVE tab. Lastly, Southside.online. You can do it through the GIVE section on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.